Welcome Truth Seekers all across the Fruited Plain. I'm your host, Kim S. Anderson, bringing you Civics Made Simple. Hashtag we are exceptional. These are bite-sized civics lessons designed for you to take and share wherever you go. These are important times. Times that American citizens like you and me need to know how our rights came to be and the responsibilities that go along with them. Hey guys, Kim Anderson here, and I am putting this um, sort of disclaimer in the beginning of the podcast. You will hear me as I am talking about the 22nd Amendment on presidential term limits misspeak and say that this amendment was enacted because of Teddy Roosevelt, when in essence, it was enacted because Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR, had just been elected to his fourth term when he died in office. So my mistake, I meant to say FDR, Franklin Roosevelt, instead of Teddy Roosevelt. So just want to let you know in advance that when you hear that section, I realized that I misspoke and said the wrong President Roosevelt. All right. Thanks, guys. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Hey, you guys, it's Kim S. Anderson here back with our Civics Made Simple podcast. How are you guys doing? So excited to be here with you today. We are talking about the next set of amendments to our Constitution and our Last podcast episode, we talked about the Bill of Rights. And do we talk about the Bill of Rights nearly enough? No, like, I don't think so. So I'm happy today that we're going to go through amendments 11 through 27. I'm going to keep it as concise as I can, yet informative and educational. That's why we're here. And so I believe that this is really going to give you Um, sort of an amazing springboard. And you're going to see how things that are happening now are definitely indirectly related to our Constitution and the amendments that followed. Now, let's just state for the record that having a Constitution and, and having 17 amendments added since our country was founded and began is a pretty amazing thing when you think about it. Like 17 amendments, that's all they've had to change. They've tried to add a few more here and there, and you'll see as we go through that some weren't necessary and some may not still be necessary, but we'll get there. Um, And it's pretty phenomenal that in the history of our country, we've only had 17 additional amendments from the Bill of Rights. That is pretty cool. So let's get started. We're going to go through these, like I said, as succinctly as possible, and I am watching our time. Because these are bite-sized nuggets, not super long nuggets, but bite-sized nuggets so that you can listen as you go. So let's get started, shall we? Are we ready? All right, here we go. The 11th Amendment, ratified in 1795. It's kind of funny when you think about that, right? Like it's, I'm not going to say the year in case when you're listening, but it's, let's just say it's the 21st century, okay? So in 1795... The judicial power of the United States, according to Amendment 11, shall not be construed to extend to any suit in law or equity commenced or prosecuted against one of the United States citizens of another state or by citizens 
or subjects of any foreign state. Let me just put my reading glasses on while we're doing this because that will make everything all the better. So what this amendment is really for, it limited federal court jurisdiction when a citizen from another state sues a state. So if you were a citizen in Virginia and you wanted to sue uh, Pennsylvania, the federal courts limited their power and authority to intervene on that case. Okay. And Amendment 12 is very long to read. So it was ratified in 1804, but its purpose, I'll just give you a synopsis. Its purpose pertained to presidential elections. And so what it did, and it played out in our most recent election here, it, it is the process of certifying the presidential election that happens between the House and the Senate. And if there are issues in that case, then it outlines how the House and the Senate are to vote for the president and the vice president to ensure that we have people in those offices. Okay. Now, the next three amendments, the 13th Amendment, the 14th Amendment and the 15th Amendment were ratified as a direct relation for those that were former slaves in the country. So in 1865, Amendment 13 was virtually signaling the end of slavery legally. It states in Section 1, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or in any place subject to their jurisdiction. So there is no more slavery. It cannot exist in the United States, according to Amendment 13, ratified in 1865. Of course, that's after the Civil War. Now, Amendment 14 pertains to um, restrictions on states, but clarifying who is a citizen. And this was directly related to those that were former slaves because they had not been granted that legal authority of citizenship. So section one, and once again, Amendment 14 is very long to read. So I'm just going to give you a snippet, I believe, of section one. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any persons within its jurisdiction the equal protection of laws. Very, very important. So, so this amendment and like, and they've got two other sections, three other sections. Um, and the fifth section stating that Congress shall have the power to enforce by appropriate legislation, blah, blah, by appropriate legislation, the provisions of this article. So amendment 14 made sure that former slaves were citizens. Okay. So amendment 13 
ended slavery legally. Those that were former slaves, because they were born in these United States, they were now citizens of the United States. Very important. And Amendment 15, ratified in 1870, made sure that those former slaves had the right to vote. The right of it states the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. Spells it out. The 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments were ratified as a direct result of the Civil War and the freeing of the slaves. Say amen to that. <laughs> Glory to God. All right, so moving on, we're starting to get to the nitty gritty. In 1913, okay, this one we don't like so much, but in 1913, the 16th Amendment was passed. And you know what that one said? That Congress shall have the power to lay and collect taxes on incomes from whatever source derived without apportionment among the several states and without regard to any consensus or enumeration. Do you know what that established? The IRS and the government taking our taxes instead of us paying our taxes. Yeah, we should probably see what we could do to get that one repealed. Isn't that exciting? Also in 1913, this one literally breaks my heart and I really think we should get this repealed, is the 17th Amendment ratified in 1913, um, and I want you to guys just to take note that Woodrow Wilson was the president at this time. Um, but what the 17th Amendment established was the direct election of senators, U.S. senators, by vote of the people. And what this changed, let's see if I can just read it here really quickly. The Senate of the United States shall be composed of two senators from each state elected by the people thereof for six years, and each senator shall have one vote. The electors of each state shall have qualifications requisite for electors of the most numerous branch of state legislatures. But here's what this changed. Prior to, in the original constitution, U.S. senators were, were voted in by their state legislatures, keeping them accountable to the states. They were, in essence, statesmen. And if there was an issue with that senator, the state legislature was able to handle and deal with them expeditiously. Didn't necessarily have to wait the six years, but if they started acting crazy and not representing their state, the state legislatures had that power and authority to remove them, vote for, put someone else in their place, um, and move forward, but to keep the state controlling that U.S. Senator. It is not like that today. And it's literally that the U.S. Senate is virtually out of control, right? Like, like there's no check and balance on the U.S. Senate right now, especially U.S. Senators. As we have seen, they've been in office for decades and decades and decades. Now, if we were to repeal this, I believe that part of what keeps us disconnected from our, our state legislatures and what's going on in our state houses is because now U.S. senators are, are, are voted on directly by the people and they go to the Senate and we don't really hear from them or, or see about them. But if there was control over them, responsibility 
and accountability to the state houses, it would keep us as citizens connected to what's going on in our state legislatures. Because if we didn't like what our state legislatures were doing and who they were appointing to the U.S. Senate, we would have direct contact and connection and and words with them. But as it is now, we sort of bypass our state legislatures and go straight to our federal legislatures. So my heart, this is just Kim, my heart would love to see the 17th Amendment repealed and we go back to the way it was originally created to be because it it would connect us. Um, it would connect us politically to our states in a in a much in a in a better, better what do I want to say? It would keep us connected to what's going on in our state houses with sobriety um, and keep us connected to what's going on in the U.S. Senate. So. That's just my two cents on the 17th Amendment. Now, the 18th Amendment ratified in 1919 was kind of a silly amendment when you look back on it. But what it did was that it created what was called prohibition. And I'll I'll read the first section to you. After one year from the ratification of this article, the manufacture, sale, or transportation of intoxicating liquors within the importation thereof into or the exportation thereof from the United States and all territories subject to the jurisdiction thereof for beverages purposes is hereby prohibited. So basically what this amendment did was say that you couldn't drink and it was unlawful to drink alcohol. Can you imagine? In 1919, we're headed straight into the Great Depression. (laughs) Folks might have needed a beer. You know what I'm saying? And so what ended up happening was that folks didn't stop drinking. They just started bootlegging liquor. You, you hear those stories? And they would create speakeasies and things where they would create it themselves and sell it themselves. And so you had law enforcement um, breaking up people's, you know, um, what did they call them? Shanties or, um, you know, their bootlegging operations, right? Because folks wanted something to drink. It was hard times. And what are you going to tell people not to drink? I mean... I don't drink, but I'm not going to tell somebody that they can't drink just because I don't drink. And so you can sort of see this almost piousness um, that was happening back in 1919, where they would actually pass an amendment to the Constitution saying people couldn't drink. Like that's antithetical of what the Bill of Rights was all about in the first place. Hello. And so moving on. Um, this next amendment was, I think, a great amendment, just like the 13th, 14th and 15th were done to protect um, those that were former slaves. The 19th Amendment ratified in 1920 gave the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. The 19th Amendment gave women the right to vote. Now, you may... (laughs) You may think that's good or you may not think that's so great. However, it did give women the right to vote and as such gave women a voice to participate in the political arena. And I wouldn't be able to be here right now sharing this information with you if the 19th Amendment had not ever been passed because my voice would not be allowed to speak on these things. So I'm happy about the 19th Amendment. And so that was done in 1920, and we did not have another amendment pass 
until 1933. And in 1933, Amendment 20 passed. And what that stated more specifically were the specified terms of office, meaning I'm going to just read the first section to you. 1933, the terms of the president and vice president shall end at noon on the 20th day of January and the terms of senators and representatives at noon on the third day of January of the years in which such terms would have ended if this article had not been ratified and the terms of their successors shall then begin. So it just established that date more specifically, the 20th Amendment in 1933. And then in 1933, we got Amendment 21. And guess what that did? It repealed prohibition because I think folks were realizing folks were still going to drink. So it just basically wiped out the 18th Amendment. It just said, yeah, I don't know what we were thinking. Moving on. Moving on. And so the next amendment came about in 1951. And that was the 22nd Amendment. And that amendment established presidential term limits because though he died in office, Theodore Roosevelt was celebrating his fourth term. And in hindsight, folks were like, no, 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 no. That's not what we want. And so they put a a term limit on the president. And after that point, presidents can only serve two terms. Yeah, we're going to be working on that term limits for senators and congressmen representatives (laughs) real real soon and so moving on the 23rd amendment in 1961 gave those folks living in the district of columbia representation in the house of representatives and during presidential elections they have an electoral vote count that goes towards the president And so where were we we were at amendment 23 in 1961 giving the district um, representation in Congress and for presidential elections. And in 1964, we had the 24th Amendment, which indicated, I'm just checking, I'm just checking, oh, the elimination of poll tax for people to vote. Um, it states succinctly that the right of citizens of the United States to vote in any primary or other election for president or vice president, et cetera, et cetera, shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or any state by reason of failure to pay poll tax or other tax. That meant that folks used to have to pay a tax to vote and they eliminated that. Sounds kind of crazy now in our day and time. And in 1967, we had the 25th Amendment, which uh, established presidential succession. And what this came into play um, when Gerald Ford became president, because he was the only president that was never elected to office, but he was appointed to office based on the 25th Amendment. And rounding it up in 1971, The 26th Amendment gave um, those 18 years and older the right to vote. And it just simply states the right of citizens of the United States who are 18 years or older to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of age. So you have to be 18 to vote. 
And Amendment 27 passed in 1992 states that no law varying the compensation for services of the senators and representatives shall take effect until an election of representatives shall have intervened. Now, the funny thing about the 27th Amendment was that it was the initial Article 2 of the original Bill of Rights that was not accepted. Can you believe that? Man, those senators and uh, representatives want to make sure they get paid. Can I get an amen on that? But it was the original um, Article 2 that was initially rejected in the Bill of Rights because it didn't have anything to do with individual rights. But they still passed it in 1992. Can you stand it? And so that, ladies and gentlemen, are the amendments to our United States Constitution. Pretty good, if you ask me. Um, it just means that we don't change it a lot. You know, it's it, it does what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to restrict the use and the authority of the federal government. And so with that said, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to wrap up today's episode of Amendments 11 through 27. And next time we're going to talk about start talking about the executive branch. Yeah. Get excited. We're going to talk about the executive branch. So this has been Kim S. Anderson. And we have a lot to say about the executive branch, do we not? Yeah, we do. But get excited. I'm so glad you've been here. Share this podcast with your friends and your family. Let's help keep our citizens civically literate as much as we can. Let's do our part and share this podcast. God bless you guys. I will talk to you soon. Kim Anderson, Kim S. Anderson, over and out. See you later, guys. God bless. Bye-bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Civics Made Simple. This is your host, Kim S. Anderson, inviting you to visit our site, kimsanderson.me.me, for the latest and most up-to-date information on our podcast and our store. Follow us at hashtag WeAreExceptional on Instagram and Twitter. God bless, and we'll see you next time.